Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the Shukri Rights Podcast with your host, Shukri Rights. I don't know any other way to begin this podcast except through transparency, honesty, and to give you, the audience, an insight as to what's been going on. For those of you who don't follow me on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and have no idea what's been going on. My beloved uncle, Maurice Samuels, as I have affectionately called him Uncle Reese, passed away on Sunday, March 14th. It's been a very difficult um, two weeks for me personally and my family. And this is the first podcast recording that I am doing since he returned back to be with God. The day of of this podcast release, which will be on Friday, March 26th, would have been his 66th birthday. And... I'm going to try my best to get through this portion of the podcast without um, breaking down or emotional. And if I do, um, please understand that this is a very emotional topic for me and as well as um, a very, um, very difficult um, time for me personally, um, emotionally, as I continue to grieve. See, my uncle Reese was he was he wasn't simply an uncle. He was an uncle because that was my mother's brother. But in actuality, he was more than an uncle. He was really more like a father figure in a sense of the type of relationship that Uncle Reese and I had. We talk about everything sports, life, social social justice. In fact, him and I had numerous conversations over the years pertaining to my place in society as a as a young black man who also happens to be Muslim in this country. We talked about family. We talked about love. We've talked about so many different things, different topics. But the thing that hurts me even as I do this recording right now is that I won't be able to hear his voice ever again. And the reason why I'm doing this is because, like, again, like I know there's a lot of people out there who may not even know what has been going on and what's been going on in my life. So I decided to to lift up the curtain and to give you guys um, details and insight as to what's been going on. I haven't been on the radio um, in, in a couple of weeks. Um, I haven't been doing any podcasts at all. I just, I just didn't 
have it in me in terms of um, being fully present and being open and transparent and being ready to to continue to do what I love despite losing the one man who has been who's been there for me at every stage and every juncture in my life. He may not have been there physically always, but his presence through phone conversations and just feeling his his love for me and as well as my love for him was more than enough to help me get through some of the toughest moments and days of my life. He was a man who truly loved his family, who truly loved and impacted so many people around the world, who truly have had the privilege to, whether if it was through reading his his writings or through having the opportunity to talk to him through letters and so forth. He was a man who was very, very intuitive, incredibly wise, someone who was resilient, someone who survived stage three prostate cancer. I remember in March, 2018, three years ago this month, I called my mom one afternoon as I'm on lunch break from work. And at that end of that, that, that conversation, she tells me the news that, that Uncle Risi was diagnosed with stage three prostate cancer. And I remember that afternoon I broke down emotionally. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to, what to expect. I didn't know what was going to happen. But that man, he pulled through. He survived. Last year, he came down with COVID at the beginning of the pandemic. Me being here in Boston, he being in New York, New York State specifically. I was terrified. I was stressed. I was worried. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know, like, how could I be of help? And the only way I knew how was to pray. So that's what I did. He survived. That man has been the symbol or one of the big symbols in my life in terms of perseverance and strength, despite life's obstacles and challenges that has been thrown at him. Uncle Risi, I know that there won't be anything that I can ever say that will bring you back as I miss you and I think about you every single day. And as I sit here, talk about you and as well as your your impact on me, on my life. It's truly imperative to me and it's important to you that you know that I am 
going to keep my promise. And I made a promise to you. And my promise to you was that I was going to make you proud. I was going to take care of mom, your sister. I made a promise to myself that I am going to become the best version of me that I can be possible. Whether if it was in terms of personal growth, career advancement, or even simply carrying on your legacy and cherishing the memories that you and I have together. The memories that you and I share that can never, ever be taken away. The moments that you and I have shared, too many to enumerate, impossible to capsulate. That's forever going to stay with me. The days, the evenings where we laughed and we cried on the phone. Those memories are always going to stick with me for the rest of my life. I sit here today as I do this recording. And even this morning when I woke up, I did shed a few tears. Not because of anger or bitterness. It's because, it is rather because how much I really miss your presence. How much you have meant to me in my life growing up as a man. And as well as realizing and accepting that while you are no longer here physically, but your spirit absolutely will still live on through me. And I mean every bit of that as it escapes my lips into the thin air that I breathe in. I can't help but to sit here today as I do this first podcast since you passed away, but to use this and use the platform that I've been given to honor you, to remember how much your wisdom and your advice has helped me and has helped me grow as a person and even as a broadcaster. My only wish was that you've had the opportunity to listen to my podcast, my radio show. But I also do know that you are no longer, you're no longer suffering. You're no longer hurting. That is the one solace that I do take into account. And I want you to know that even even on my on my worst days that your voice still permeates in my mind that your impact on me still lives on within me and how much i'm going to miss 
those walks where you would grab me and put and wrap your arm around my shoulder blade and, and pull me in as if I was your I was your actual son. I'm going to miss a lot of a lot of the small things in the way that you're touching your understanding. I'm going to miss all of that terribly. And even now, as I sit here and I reflect on what has been a very difficult week and a half, nearly two weeks since you've passed, I do know that your impact and your influence on me will never die and will never wash away. And for that, I am eternally grateful for having someone truly as as incredible of a man as you were in my life for 29 and a half years. It makes me sad to think that you will not be here on this earth to, to, to see me bring my first child into this world, or I should say, or my future wife bring my first child into this world and you meet your, your great nephew or your great niece. It hurts that you will never be able to have a conversation with my future wife. There's so many moments that I wish that you will be here for, but that you won't. And for that, during those days, I am going to think about you heavily. I'm going to think about you heavily and I'm going to remember the days in those moments that those days and those memories in which that you and I shared and that more than anything else that your that your impact on me has been truly genuine, truly, truly, truly sincere. And I'm sorry um, that I'm getting emotional uh, right now. Um, but this moment, I want to dedicate to you, Uncle Risi, and that I know for a fact that you are that you are no longer suffering and that you are at peace. I'm going to specifically dedicate this podcast episode to you for you as I begin to pick up the pieces of moving forward and by moving forward meaning carrying on those memories and as well as and as well as remembering the lessons that you've taught me 
And with that, this podcast episode that I'm doing today, I'm going to dedicate it to you. I'm going to dedicate it to my family. And that I'm excited. And it's an honor to bring in Chris Carlin of ESPN New York 98.7 FM to the podcast in just a moment. And joining me now here on the Shuka Rights Podcast is the one and only Chris Carlin of 98.7 ESPN, the host of the of Carlin weeknights from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. on 98.7 ESPN and the ESPN app. Carlin, what's going on, my man? How's it going? Uh, it's going great. Thanks for having me, Shukri. How you doing? I'm I'm doing I'm doing okay. Um, it's been uh, a, a rather emotional time, um, as I was explaining to you pre uh bringing you onto the podcast um and as well as uh, for for you in fact i want to give you the opportunity to talk about um your your friend in which i used to do games with at Rutgers, in which i heard a little bit about this 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 past week but i never really got the chance to understand the magnitude of such a loss i want to give you the opportunity to talk about it sure uh joe boylan who um was a fixture at Rutgers for a long time and and spent a lot of time as the athletic director at Loyola down in Maryland passed away um he was the color commentator on the Rutgers basketball broadcast for the last six years I uh Joe and I only worked together for one year I had to give up basketball when I took a job in Philadelphia Mm. but just became really good friends and and um just one of those guys that you know, there are so few people in life that um, make you feel special when you talk to them. And, and he was one of those guys. And I was going back through my text messages this week from him. And wow. you know, every single one of them was kind of an encouraging one out of nowhere, no matter the situation. So, you know, um, we, we lost a giant in our community, a guy that was around Rutgers for a very long time in the 70s and 80s uh, into early 90s and then went to Loyola to be the AD and then came back a few years ago to do these games in retirement and just fantastic guy. Um, I only knew him for six years, but one of those guys that I wish that I knew a lot longer than that. For sure. Like it's it's amazing when you're able to look back on people who whose impact has been truly profound in our lives. For me, it was my, my uncle uh, Maurice, in which that with him, I shared so many indelible moments um, with him. In fact, um, just to give give you and as well as the, the audience a, a peek into behind the curtain, rather, when I moved here to Boston in February 2017, one of the things that I'll always remember was that night of February 14th, which was Valentine's Day. And I got home from my old job where I used to work in New York. And I remember I walked upstairs to my mom's room. She's got my, uh, my uncle Reese on the phone, on speakerphone. And at that point, I'm, at, I'm in an emotional state because here I am about to move out of the mother's nest out into the world. <laughs> and my uncle is literally right there on the phone. I can hear his voice loud and clear. And, and it was just one of those things where it was like, okay, this is really real now. And, and he, and he was just like, listen, this day was coming and you, and you are going off to make your mark in the world. Just grab on, grab on to life by the, by the horns and don't be afraid to fail. And it was just 
it was just that conversation in that moment that I shared with them that makes it all the more um, powerful yet bittersweet as well. So, so when you talked about going through those text messages, I haven't even gotten the chance to go back through old emails that him and I exchanged just, just because I don't know if I'm ready to do that just yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can understand that. I, I, um, we were, I, I, I got the call last week that, that Joe had suffered a stroke and, um, they asked me to fill in on the, uh, for color commentary for, for Rutgers making the tournament, which was a huge deal. It's the first time in 30 years that they had made the tournament and, you know, for Joe not to be able to do the game, you know, he was looking forward to doing it, mm-hmm. um, was just, uh, was crushing, but you know, at first it was look sounding like it was, he was going to be okay. And it just kind of took a turn over the weekend. He didn't get to see them win on Friday night, but he knew that they won and he passed away just before the game on, on Saturday. So we were, uh, or on Sunday rather. So we were, we were definitely doing it with a heavy heart, but it, it is amazing when you really look at it. And it's unfortunate that we really don't fully appreciate the people that, that touch our lives the way they do uh, sometimes until they're gone. And, um, you know, Joe is a guy that I'm exceptionally grateful for having had in my life. For sure. And, and like I said, my condolences to you and as well as everyone who you knew him. Well. And, I, and I appreciate that. In fact, I had the chance to listen to, um, to Boomer Geo um, a couple of days ago and, and, it, and it was talked about actually, I believe it was a uh, Monday um, mm-hmm. d- during, during the program in, in which that I, I didn't know or understand just how, how big of a loss this was, but now in listening to you talk about it and now it's starting to really hit me in terms of the, like, the impact he's had on the Rutgers community and as well as on like for like the Rutgers uh, basketball uh, broadcast and so forth. Um, so like the one thing I'll, I'll ask you to, to, to get things started is March Madness is usually the time of year where everything gets a bit crazy. We've mm-hmm. seen some we've seen some wild upsets already. And I just want to ask you, what is your overall um, perspective on some of the upsets that we've seen happen already during this March Madness tournament where it just seems like Gonzaga is the only um, number one team that's still um, standing right now? You know, I look at it um, from a couple of different perspectives. Number one, I think we go through something every year where maybe the level of the mid-major basketball that's played doesn't necessarily get as much respect as it should. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times when you see these mid-major teams um, pull upsets or even low-major teams pull upsets, you know, they're a a group that has played together for a long time. They're usually senior-laden. And uh, that, I think, really goes a long, long way. There is a lot to be said for talent, but there's a lot to be said for talent development. And uh, on that level, that's what you have to do. You have to develop talent uh, over the course of two to three to four years in your program. And I think that's a, a lot of what we have seen. I think secondly, you know, I, I look at, you know, just seeing some of these teams advance and see some others get knocked out. I, I wouldn't call it an overconfidence, but I, I would say that it's definitely difficult to really understand how good a team is until they're in front of you and they're, and you're mm-hmm. getting their best punch. And 
there are teams that have been in this tournament that you can, if you watch them, um, high seeds that have taken some haymakers. Some of them have gotten knocked out. Some of them haven't and really have not understood what they're facing uh, at the moment. So I, I think that's a little combination of that. And I think we'd all be naive not to think that COVID has played into this a little bit. So For many sure. teams have had um, start and stops and, and no rhythm to the season and, you know, are probably a little bit more worn down than usual because I don't know that any of us can truly appreciate what the sacrifice level is this year for college or for student athletes. They don't see family. They don't do anything social pretty much all season long. And, and that's really amazing to think about that, that, that you're spending your college experience being kind of locked up in a lot of ways just to make college basketball happen. Um, there's sacrifice involved in being great on any level, but this has been above and beyond, I think, for, for student athletes. Well, without question, and I think the term sacrifice has been the common theme over the course of the past year for, for all of us, in which that we've all have had to make sacrifices on some level, whether it be um, in terms of personal or career or et cetera. So how has COVID impacted you over the course of the past year? You know, I think for me, I've been very fortunate. Um, you know, my wife and I uh, are, you know, we don't have any kids. We, we have a dog and it's just been uh, kind of the two of us in the house. And I, I have a, you know, watching what my siblings have gone through with, um, you know, educating and, and all of the homeschooling stuff. Um, I think we have certainly had it a lot easier on that front. Um, you know, for me on a professional level, it's been very interesting because um, I basically had started at ESPN at the beginning of last year. And I'm so used to going into a studio and doing a show that um, I really kind of didn't know any other way. And then all of a sudden I'm doing a show from here, from, from home. Um, and my thing has really been about trying to get better in any way that I can. What can I add uh, that I haven't been doing? Um, I've spent time this past year setting up a, a situation where I've been able to video stream my own show. And it, you know, it's just adding another element to it to try to, um, you know, enhance value, all that kind of stuff. And I've basically done it by just going and, and learning uh, software and editing equipment and all that kind of stuff. Like I knew how to edit audio, but I didn't know how to edit video, all those kinds of things and learning about live streaming. So I've tried to take it as an educational experience more than anything. All right, how can I take this time and get better at what I do? Um, and I know that sounds a little cliche, but it is true. You get to a point of like, okay, I, I need to just expand what I'm doing and, and be better at it. And, and so that, that's been important for me. Um, but at the same time, I think that it's had its mental effect on all of us. I oh, mean, my 100%. wife and I were talking this morning, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm looking outside right now 
and I see a lot of gray. And it yeah. feels like I've seen <laughs> nothing but gray for a year plus now. You know, even though we had some of the summer and all that. And I said, you know, this whole idea of, uh, I live in New Jersey, of, of living in a warm weather client, uh, climate is really starting to look a lot more attractive. <laughs> you know? Like, uh, I hear you, Florida, but like if, if, you know, if in the next couple of years it becomes clear with my job, it's not going to matter where I live. We need to look at this. <laughs> so, oh, uh, and she just was kind of like, all right, settle down a little bit, you know, let, you know, let's realize the, the true impact of it. But Look, I think it's had an impact on everybody's mental state, uh, some more than others. Um, I have tried to do some things to, to keep myself relatively sane throughout, but mm. it hasn't been an easy thing to do. And I think that's been the case for everybody. I, I feel like um, my level of sacrifice is a heck of a lot less than what most people are dealing with. In, in, you talk about how um, we've, we've had to find ways to continue to get better and as well as you know like finding ways to keep yourself saying i want to address two both parts i'm gonna start with the finding ways to get better you talk about live streaming your shows which i i find to be really impressive considering that your program your your show is primarily radio based mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm sure you there you have there are people that are working back at the studio whether if it's um, whether if it's RJ or, or, or Santiago, like they're working by behind the glass and so forth, doing, doing the, the program. When you first started looking into live streaming your show, what were some of the things that you learned early on that helped you uh, make that transition a bit easier for people to be able to watch your show? Well, the first thing was I have seen this kind of thing before and mm -hmm. I was not going to let it um, affect any of the quality of the radio show. It is a radio show first and foremost. And I think when you see um, radio shows that are on TV or um, live streamed, like that's where they're at their most effective. When, when it just has that feel of people just talking and it's not me um, specifically talking at the camera, you know? Um, Spare you my sneeze. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, so that was number one for me. So I waited a long time in really learning all of the, I knew a lot of the technical equipment already, but not all of it. So I really wanted to be in a position where I felt like I'm comfortable enough to do this, where it's not going to affect um, the quality of what I'm doing, because you do have to think about all the technical aspects of it too. What is the easiest way for me to do this? So yeah, did it cost a little investment? It, it did to get a couple of pieces of equipment. Um, I prop, but I didn't spend nearly as much as I thought I would trying to make this happen. Um, so that was the biggest challenge is I'm going to do this, but it cannot come at the expense of anything I am doing on the air. And that's easy to say, but not necessarily easy to do. Um, I think the other part for me was really more about um, just wanting to expand it into something else. You know, are there millions of viewers watching it every night? No, 
No, but it's trying to build, trying. We all look around and we see how much um, media is changing and we have to adapt. We have to adapt with the time. So, um, and I'm still way behind on all that stuff. I, I really truly am, but um, you get better through change and you get better through work. And that's where it was important to me. But the biggest thing was just making sure that I could do all of it without overthinking and losing focus on, on the quality of the product itself. And I think that speaks volumes in which that talk about investing, investing in like equipment and as something that I recently just did. In fact, um, I purchased, I finally was able to purchase the cloud lifter for my radio mic. I used the Electro Voice RE20. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that before. And I mean, I've been hearing about how much of a difference it makes in terms of bringing like power to the mic and as well as like when you actually hear yourself speak, like how different it sounds. And I and I gave it a little test run yesterday and I noticed a difference. I was like, oh, this is exactly yeah. how it's supposed to sound on radio. Right. And, uh, and that, that in itself was like, OK, that got, that got me all like, giddy and excited, you know, and, and it's like the small little things I once would like gloss over and just be like, uh, yeah, okay, whatever. Now it's like, Ooh, I'm excited. I like this. And, and yeah. which, which brings me back to part two, you talked about how you have, you having to you know, find ways to keep yourself sane and not allow yourself to go crazy dur during these times. What were some of the things that you, discovered and learned in this process to help you maintain a balance in terms of your mental health and as well as ensuring that there is still some sort of normalcy in, in your daily life? Well, let's be clear. I, I'm still looking, you know, I, sure. I I'm really trying. Um, the way my schedule is, I am not somebody that does great when he doesn't have anything to do. You know, I need things to do. I, I'm the same way. I fully understand. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. A few weeks ago, um, with the Knicks and Rangers being on our station, mm -hmm. my show gets preempted quite a bit. And so there was a week where I did not have one show because wow. of game. Yeah. And there have been a couple of those. And listen, there it is what it is. You, you mm -hmm. deal with it. But my wife looked at me on Sunday of that week and realized, so you have nothing to do all week. And I said, nope, not a thing. <laughs> she's like, so you're gonna be sitting around the house all week. And I said, yep. And she said, that's not gonna work. And <laughs> so, so it was one of those things, all right, go online, take a look at, you know, I, I, I for instance, for me, yeah, I enjoy going and playing golf. I enjoy um, trying to, you know, just go and get into the sunshine again, like I was talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. I looked online, like, you know, okay, Vegas was exceptionally cheap, and I just went out there to be in the sun for a couple of days. Wow. Um, I mean, exceptionally cheap, you know, like 160 bucks round trip on the plane. So, <laughs> wow. yeah, and the hotel rooms were nothing. So anyway, the point yeah. being, like, that, those are a couple of little things I did. I made a couple of little trips, but I also... Um, when I have been doing my best during this, 
has been when I've been taking an hour and going outside for a walk, when I have been trying to, when I have things to do, I'm good, but I'm, I'm mentally not as good at focusing. So I'm sitting here trying to let me organize my day. Okay. I am not going to get distracted by um, text messages and all that stuff for this hour and a half. I am going to focus on everything I want to do. If I do have a show that night to map out um, the show, um, all that kind of stuff. I, it is difficult. Um, exercise. I have always struggled with my weight and I'm 48 and, and that's not going to get easier. And I've seen friends recently go through health scares and it really gives you an appreciation for health as the true currency that we all have that is the most important. And um, so I have to find a way to do that. Um, mental health. I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it. I, I absolutely have a therapist. I talk, I need to do that. It's, it's something that is important because I just, um, mental illness has been in my family. It's a topic that is, or, you know, just an issue that is very close uh, to me. And I have to do what I have to do to maintain that. Um, and I've had some dark times personally, the last couple of years, you know, I got fired at WFAN. That was a tough time. It was the first time I'd been fired uh, in my life. And um, it was from a place that I grew up at and absolutely loved. And it, it was dark for me for a bit, even though I was able to get a job pretty quickly. Um, yeah, it was, it was not easy. So, and everybody goes through that stuff at some point or, or another, but you don't appreciate it until you go through it and see what it's like. So all of that, it, it's not easy. I, I think my biggest thing is just talking to someone helps me immensely on that front. It really does because I don't want to be the guy that brings that home. I don't want to be the guy that has to talk to my wife about it. She's dealt with it too. She talks to somebody too, because I, I don't think that's healthy to um, talk about everything on that front with your spouse. You have to be able to, to um, have outlets for, for talking. So anyway, um, long story short, yeah, it's not easy. It's a challenge, but it's not anything that none of that any of us aren't going through. And I'm and I'm really glad that you brought this to the um, forefront because, and I I want to be abundantly clear to to you and especially for those that are going to be listening, is that we need and especially as men we need to be a lot more vocal about our mental health. In fact, I'll be the first to to tell you. And I've been very candid and honest with both the podcast and, and the radio audience um, locally that I started dealing with anxiety last June, right in the aftermath of the George Floyd uh, murder that, that, that shook the, this entire nation. And in fact, before that, I never dealt with mental health issues or, or like depression or anything like that. But what those anxiety attacks have changed me in a way that it changed me in a way that has made me realize that, hey, you know, it's OK to talk about these things, that that we need to talk about it and not 
feel as if that, well, we're supposed to be the, the, the macho man and, and to feel that we have to keep everything bottled in. So the question that I will ask you, and, and I want you to, to be as open and as honest with me as possible, what is your message to any, any person listening, whether they're male or female or whatever, in terms of being honest with themselves and seeking therapy in terms of addressing their mental health? Well, let's talk about this on a couple of fronts. Okay. Sure. Absolutely. Um, number one, my, my wife has, has dealt with um, mental illness in her life uh, throughout because, you know, it, it, it's a chemical thing and it's, it's not a thing that you can fully control. And when we were first together and I was starting to learn about it, what is the instant male instinct? It is to fix it. Yep. I want to, I want to fix it for you. I want to do that. And it took me so long to learn. That's not something that you can just do. Mm. Like, I, I think it would, um, now this is on a, on a severe level, mind you. Yeah. But I think I started to appreciate it a little bit more when I read about it. And I read about Dick Cavett and Dick Cavett has dealt with depression his entire life. And the way he described it was um, if you had a pill sitting in front of you on a table and it could cure all of your mental illness problems and you are sitting there in this state of depression you are so debilitated that you wouldn't reach up and take the pill. It was just sit there. That was one. And number two was when my doctor described to me, imagine trying to run a marathon on a broken leg. Mm. You know, when you start imagining it in terms that we understand a little bit more. Okay. And, and so it took me a while to appreciate that and to understand what I deal with. I have always believed this, and I don't mean this in a in a in a bad way, but yeah. we are all broken in one way or another. You know, yep. we are all broken. We all have our issues and social media and everything. You don't see that. You just don't. You know, and it's never. I I say that I'm as guilty as anybody. Um, you know, because from a business standpoint, it's good for me to, to be on social media, but I look at it sometimes like your life cannot be this perfect all the time. It's exactly. So long story short here, my message is it's beyond. Okay. Uh, I grew up in an Irish Catholic family where we didn't talk about things. Mm. And my father had massively high blood blood pressure and died from a stroke at 60. And wow. that's part of it. That's part of a reason why is because he was so stressed out and so tough, but kept it in that it does real true physical damage to you. Wow. So I just know that when you know, you can go and have a conversation with a professional and it's not, information that's ever leaving the room you build that trust mm -hmm. it's amazing how much better you can feel i've gone into appointments thinking i have nothing to say today and i come out of it thinking wow i feel a lot better and it's just 
you know, it gives you good perspective. It gives you the chance um, to get somebody else's uh, perspective on what you're saying and what you're going through. And am I wrong about this? So yeah. I, I just, I encourage anybody who feels like they are um, trapped at times mentally to, to do that, to, to talk to somebody, to find the courage to do it. And I do mean find the courage because it's not an easy thing to do. And, and one last one on this. Sure. Sure. Um, there is a book called 10% happier. Mm. And I'm trying to remember the name of the author, but he's uh, an ABC news correspondent, mm. but he, in the middle of this said something that has always stuck with me. That little voice in your head, it turns out as an asshole. <laughs> and oh I actually so understand. True. I understand it because, like, I have that voice in my head at times where it's like, you need to get your ass up and, and, and get yourself going. Like, yo, get tough it up. Let's go. Like, no, I, it just resonated. Like, oh my God, like, that's me. Like, I, I know what you're talking about. We talk about the little voice in your head at times where it's like, Yo, stop being soft, man. Get 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 up, man. Stop being yeah, tough. Yeah, it's dude. like your problems are not that uh, this mm -hmm. or that, or you know, you're um, or or you're not good enough for all those things. Yeah. That dude's an asshole. That woman's an <laughs> asshole. And and you need to stop. When you realize that, it does. It has helped me in terms of um, thinking it and thinking of it in different terms. So that that's always been a big thing for me. When, when I, yeah, somebody gets in my head about you may not be good enough to do this. No, you're you're an asshole. Okay, that's right. I forgot. <laughs> uh, that that moment of that moment of just brutal honesty is, is it, something I can't help but laugh at because mm. I I think about that that voice in in in, in my head in which is like, okay, why why do you want to do this now? And sometimes you just don't have control where and when it's going to say, you remember me? I'm that voice in your head. Like, I don't care how you feel today, but I'm going to, I want to try to find a way to, to screw up your mood. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny talking about it, but, but for, for everyone that, that can relate and understand, it's like, okay, I know exactly what you're talking about. And, and, and man, it, it it really be delivering some serious gut punches and and I and and, and I think this pandemic what ha, what has changed so many people including myself and I, and I'm sure that you also can relate to it as well is that it has brought to the forefront the importance of having people that you can talk to in terms of in terms of what's going through your head or what are you thinking about and and like I'll be the first to tell you um, and share with you that there was a point in time where I was alone. Like I was yeah. I, I was alone in the sense of I didn't know who I could talk to about what I was dealing with in terms of the anxiety and so forth. And, and, and don't get me wrong, like my parents are alive and well. I have a phenomenal relationship with both my mom and my dad, but even then there's only about so much you can go to them and talk to them about, you know? And when you surround yourself with people who 
either are going through the same things that you're going through or have gone through the same thing that you've gone through and makes a world of a difference. I feel that very much. Um, you know, in my career, in my 20s, in my, yeah, primarily in my late 20s, mm-hmm. um, early to late 20s, there's a lot of sacrifice involved to try to get somewhere in my career. And the biggest sacrifice was a social life. And I spent a lot of time alone. And what that did, spending that much time in your own head is not good for you because how it affected me was I'd look at other friends and I'd look at people that I, you know, whether it was like women I was trying to, you know, if I was going to date or not, or um, just friends and, you know, you'd see friends went out to, you know, to a bar and had hung out and that kind of thing. And they didn't invite you like everything becomes about you and how you're offended and how you're pissed off and how you're like, the world is just really revolving around you Mm -hmm. and you forget that like there are other pieces to it and that other people actually have lives. And it's crazy to, to say that, but it's, it's just true. It's just true because the only person you have to talk to is that asshole, you know, like, mm-hmm. how can, you know, how can this person blow me off after everything I've done for them and all that? No, no, they, they have things to do too. And yeah, there are times you can get, get legit offended, but like there were too many times I was getting overly offended by things that just weren't there. You invent things that just are not there. That's how it affected me. And being alone sucks. Being alone sucks. There's no um, getting around it. I'm somebody that um, enjoys it at times, but that period of my life was very, very difficult because I wanted to have more fun and more um, more interaction with people and, and dating more. And what did I do? I my way of dealing with it was eating. You know, so that's mm. just one of those things. And, and uh, I'm still physically paying for that now, but trying to make up for it. You know, it's interesting. You said something during that response that struck a core. In fact, during my college years in New York, because uh, I'm from New York, born and raised, went to Long Island University on Brooklyn campus. And I remember so, so vividly the first three years of, of my college years, this is between 09 and 2012. I remember there would be days and there'll be times where it'll be Friday night. And you know, Friday nights in college, like what, what do college kids want to do? They want to go party, you know, go to the dorm or go to this place and so forth. But that wasn't me. That wasn't yeah. me at all. I, me, I was more of like, oh, let's go to the movies. Let's go to this restaurant. Let's go. I mean, for, for God's sakes, we're in New York City. Like, we're, there's plenty of options we can go to. We can go to Palmas Frites and, and somewhere in the Lower East Side and grab grab a bite there. Like, but that but that wasn't their focus. So what ended up happening was that, and I remember this from my freshman year in particular. There were so many times that you talk about how being alone sucked. 
I spent a lot of those Friday nights and Saturday nights alone. And what I would end up doing is I would go to the movies. I would, I would hop on the path train either from the World Trade Center or from 33rd Street and take it over to, to, to Newport, go to the movies, watch one or two movies, depending on what the schedule was, and then, and then go back to where I was staying. But little did I know at that time, there was a positive and there was a negative. Positive, I just learned to enjoy my own company. Yeah. But here's, but here's a negative, and, and you touched on it so eloquently. When you spend so much time alone, you, you don't realize how much in your own head you begin to, to get into. And I didn't realize this until years later. So when you yeah. said that, it was like, a, oh, crap. You're, you're right, because now it's like a fight where I have to get out of my own head, and, it, and it's tough. It is. It is tough. And um, part of that is to, like, if I spend too much time in the house, it's, it's just going to be there. You know, it's going to be that kind of thing. If I'm not doing things that are positive for what I am uh, trying to make happen, you know, uh, it's, it does damage to me. It, it really does. And I think, um, you know, more than anything, uh, my best, uh, it's just funny. I, I think about over the last year and I'm, a, I'm the guy that I will make plans to go and do something and then they'll get canceled and I'll be like, Oh, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, and you know, my God, (laughs) it's it's so true. Like for me, because like, I want to go out and spend time with people and and visit with them and have fun. Mm -hmm. And I see them living their lives, but at the same time, I don't, I just want to chill, you know? Um, But anyway, I I mean, there, there there's so many complexities to, all of it that I, I just think the mental health aspect of it has been so, uh, so overlooked for so many years. Absolutely. And if one thing, if there's one thing, Shukri, that could come out of this is that I hope that there is a better appreciation, you know, that this is not, you know, for men about being tough. This mm-hmm. is not about that. You know, th- this is about stuff that everybody goes through. Um, there are times where it is important to be mentally tough, but when you're fighting through depression, asking for help is a good thing, is a good thing. And I would argue that that is part of mental toughness, having the ability to be tough enough to say, yeah, I need help on this one because I can't get this one done alone. And I need somebody else's perspective on what's going on up here. So, yeah. I think that is I think that is so powerful because for so for so long and we, we talked about this uh, at, at at nauseum where we as men were like, well, we're just we just gonna have to power through and just keep on going because that's who we are as men, whereas this pandemic has truly brought everyone to its knees. And if you point someone that that turned around and says that, well, this pandemic hasn't affected me at all, like whatsoever. At any type of level, I'll show you a liar, because yeah. if there's one thing that I've that I've realized is that this pandemic 
has a way has had a way of humbling so many people, regardless of what you do for a living, whether if you're, you're in a radio business like, like, like you are, and, and as I'm building my radio career as well, or if you're someone that is like an average Joe working, working like the blue collar job. And so it doesn't matter. Every single person has been affected somehow, some way. And I think there is something to be said in which that particularly for men where I think there has been the stigma of not talking about what's been, what's going on with your dome. And I look at people in sports, such as Robin Leonard, who is a goaltender for the Las Vegas golden Knights with such, with, with such reverence where it's like, this is a guy playing one of the toughest positions in sports yeah. in the highest level there is in the NHL. And he's been very, very vocal, very open about his battle with depression. And I say, I wish more men had the strength that he has in being open and seeking help. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and I think that there is truth to the notion of, Hey, we got to keep moving forward. We got to keep doing that. But the way to do that is not by ignoring problems. It's by addressing them to keep moving forward. And uh, really, like I talked about earlier, the instinct is to try to fix them. Mm -hmm. Well, that has to be our own instinct too, to try to work on them to get better. That's moving forward. You know, just ignoring it and assuming it's going to go away that's not moving forward. That's getting stuck in the sand. Mm. Absolutely. And to, I want to lighten things up a bit in which that there's a lot going on in the sports world. Mm -hmm. And especially, especially in New York, where in New York right now, there's a very interesting, there's a very interesting, um, as I like to say, a dynamic in terms of basketball in New York City, because as you know, and I know basketball at its core is the heartbeat of New York. You know, there's yep. no disrespect to the Yankees or the Mets and I'm a diehard Yankee fan. But you look at the Brooklyn Nets, they, they've had this expectation ever since they've gotten James Harden, NBA Finals or bust. And you look at the, the New York Knicks who have been abysmal for so long for over the course of 20 years, with the exception of 20, 2012, 2013, where they won 54 games. But now here is this team coached by Tom Thibodeau. And you got a, you got a young core, like, or like an RJ Barrett or Obi Topin, and as well as Julius Randle, who was an all-star this year. What do you make of the shift in terms of the NBA and the basketball culture in New York in terms of the two franchises who are separated by a mere subway line from Madison Square going to Barclays? Well, it's interesting. From my perspective as a talk show host, mm -hmm. I'll be honest, the Nets make the, you know, they get Durant, they get Kyrie, and you think they're going to take off and all that. And then they get James Harden. And, uh, Frankly, I bring up the Nets on the show and try to make points about the team. No reaction. Nobody cares. And mm. the point about it is this. There is a lot more of people. Number one, there are so many more Nick fans than Net fans. It's not even funny. That's true. I mean, mm -hmm. Yeah. It, listen, when the Knicks are good, we know what this town is like. Yes. Okay. The, I compare it very much to like, if you look at the, the Yankees and the Mets, that's kind of two thirds, one third, you know, there are two third Yankee fans, one third Met fans, but that base is strong. 
I feel the Giants and the Jets are similar. But when you look at the Knicks and the Nets, that's 80-20 mm-hmm. at best. That's more like 85-15. That's right. And you have the Nets are so much more a bigger story outside of New York than they are here as a team collectively. But when you talk about the individual players, then it starts to really drum up a lot of interest. For instance, on my show last night, we were talking about uh, Harden and the MVP as that has started to come up quite a bit. And when I said, you know what? And I'm not trying, I'm not the guy for the record who just says whatever he has to say to get reaction. That's not it. To me, Harden's not the MVP. And the reason is a couple of fold. Number one, Kyrie has played the majority of the time that he's been here. Mm-hmm. And I look at where the Nets are in the standings in the top three. Would they not be in the top three in the Eastern Conference if they hadn't made that trade? No, they would be. They would be because the fourth team in the Eastern Conference is the Hawks. Mm-hmm. They're seven games back of the Bucks, who are the third team and the Nets, you know, in terms of the loss column. So I look at it from that standpoint. But people are, when it comes to the Nets, people are a lot more interested in talking about the individual superstars mm-hmm. than they are the team as a whole. When you go nationally, people are more fascinated by the Nets because of how they're structured. We all know that there is infinitely more interested uh, interest in the Knicks as a franchise right now mm-hmm. just because it feels like you've been in the desert for 20 years yeah. drinking the sand. you know. <laughs> and now all of a sudden, yeah. you've got something to work with. You've got a team that buys in, that plays defense, that – you know, you've got the true development of a player at 26 and Julius Randle, who mm-hmm. uh, just made this commitment to be much better. And you've seen development like I can't love enough watching the development of R.J. Barrett. I just oh, yeah. I love it. I absolutely love it. So those things to me for the Knicks to be 22 and 22 this year. Uh, that's amazing. So I, I'm, I think we will see it blow back up in a couple of years, but Shukri, I, I, I honestly look at it and I think about the nets when they were going to the finals in New Jersey. Yeah. And they're playing, think about this for a second. They're playing the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. Oh yeah. And the Tim Duncan led Spurs. Mm-hmm. And there were p- finals games. They didn't sell out. How is that possible? It was just, it's a stunning. Yeah. And I know they're in Brooklyn and I think there is a bigger fan base now that they're in Brooklyn, but I still don't think it's anywhere close to the close to the Knicks. And I don't think it ever will be, frankly. And, you know, you, you talked about those two, those two years that they made the NBA finals back to back in 2002, 2003. I think there's something very important. I should also add to that discussion as well, because let's travel back in, into that time the New Jersey Devils were the behemoth of the NHL team in terms of the three local NHL teams in, in the region between the Rangers, the Rangers, they were, they were, they were absolutely just mediocre. The Islanders were just so, so, so far out of the thought and the conscious of, of New York that they were like, Oh, they're just there. Okay. The Devils, they were that team. You had 
Martin Brodeur, who was at the peak of his powers, and you had the Hall of Famers like Scott Stevens, Scott Niedermeyer, and you had you had a New Jersey Devil great and Ken Danico as well, patrolling the blue line, and as well as you have other pieces that that, that were playing the Elias, Elias player, yeah, exactly, and Tra- Travis Zajac as well. Now, the Nets, you talked about playing the Lakers in 0-2. They got swept. Kobe and Shaq, and I still maintain the belief that if they did not get into the feud that they got into in 04, they would have won more than just the three tiles that they won together during that three. Oh, agreed. Yeah. And yeah. you look at 03, and I think that is the greatest collective dynasty that we've seen in terms of the NBA between one head coach and one constant superstar that was there throughout in terms of Greg Popovich and Tim Duncan. You also had other places that were there, obviously, with, with David Robertson as well. You had the, the, um, the, the Manu Ginobili's and the Tony Parkers of the world and, and, and so forth. But there's something to be said about the passion of the Knicks and the passion of the Nets. Not to say that the Nets aren't, they, they don't have passion and fan base, but it's like for you not to sell out at Continental Airlines Arena for the younger audience who don't remember, that's where they played before moving to Newark. What does that say in terms of the general interest in, in, in the New Jersey Nets? Do you think that played a big part as to why they ultimately decided to make that move to Brooklyn? Yeah, I think, I think they did. I think that was a big part of it. And they thought going to Brooklyn was going to completely change the dynamic. They Listen, when they're able to do it, they will sell out games because of the show that they will become. But I don't think that they're ever going to approach the Knicks. I just don't. I, I, I think that's a dynamic. We're trying to climb up that ladder, man. Uh, there is nothing like this town when the Knicks are good. Absolutely. There's nothing like it. It's off the charts. And you have, I mean, I, I was thinking about this the other day. Is LeBron the only player that could really, truly make the Nets close to a number one team in this town when he was in his prime? I don't even know if he could. I don't think so. Yeah, that speaks volumes about where they are. Absolutely. So to me, I just don't think you've got three of the greatest players on the planet on this team right now. And, you know, outside of the individual talk, people just don't care. And and that and I think that speaks like a lot in terms of the way that is perceived in New York and the way that it's um, that is I guess permeating into the collective conscious of New Yorkers. Now, in terms of the Yankees and Mets, this is an interesting year in particular for both the Yankees and Mets because on I want to start with the Mets first because that trade for Francisco Lindor changed everything in terms of the perception of the franchise in terms of how this team was going to be put together moving forward. That trade reminded me, and I was, I'm, a, I'm a guy who was, I was born in 91. So I'm old enough to remember when Piazza came to, came to the Mets in May of 98. And, and that was like the, that year was the first time that I started paying attention to sports. Like as a young kid growing up in New York, I grew up a diehard Yankee fan, but I was also very attentive to what was going on over in Flushing. So when this trade happened in terms of Francisco Lindor, it was like, okay, this mess team has a chance to really steal headlines in New York, considering that 
the Mets, they still have a pretty good rotation with Jacob DeGrom, who is the best pitcher in baseball right now. And yet you have the Yankees who for four years, four years, have yet to have been able to overcome that hump in the postseason. I, for whatever reason that is, it could be a myriad of different factors. So the question I'll ask you is, you look at the Yankees and Mets as we approach opening day in, in about a week's time. Which team do you think has the best chance of making a run to the World Series in 2021? I still think it's the Yankees. And um, my primary issue there is that beyond Garrett Cole, I, I trust nothing. I really, I trust nothing. I think Corey Kluber was not a great signing uh, as a number two because yeah. he's nowhere near the Corey Kluber he was a few years ago. Yeah. I, Jamison Tyon, we'll see. But again, you know, Kluber's pitched 35 innings in two years. And uh, Tyon, not much more than that because of his Tommy John. So yeah. I, we'll see. I'm not optimistic on that front. Uh, I thought the Justin Wilson injury the last week did not help the Yankees right now outside mm -hmm. of um, Chapman don't have a lefty. Uh, but I still think that it's hard to argue that they're not going to win 90 some games. Um, I believe the Mets have a really good chance and Lindor could be the franchise altering Piazza type move. But uh, I still want to see I don't think it's unreasonable to want to see Lindor play in New York just to see what that's like and play in front of hopefully soon a full house. I don't yeah. know how soon that's going to be, but just to see what the pressure's like with him. Um, but I think he'll be fine. I, I think he'll be fine. And I think he's a guy that you're going to want to have for a long time. I think the Mets and the Yankees are both going to have really good seasons. I, I'm getting tired of hearing about the Yankees from the standpoint of, um, it, it, you used to hear all the time about championship or bust. Yeah. And okay. When does that actually come in? You know, when do, when do we actually look at that? And now it seems to be that look at it a more, a lot more like we have to um, get to the postseason, and then eh, we'll see what happens. You know, I, I don't love that mentality. And I think that mentality is part of the reason why they haven't been able to get over all that hump. And I, and I strongly feel that it's been four years. They've just started in 2017. We all know what happened between the Yankees and the Astros and what we later found out about the Astros in 2017. But you had 18, 19, and as well as last season, even though it was, it was the COVID-shortened season. And I say, okay, it's easy to look at the overall scope of the team, but when I look at the core – and I say, when I say the core, I mean guys like Judge, um, Sanchez, and even now um, Gleyber Torres, and to, to no faults of his own, or, and, and even Aaron Hicks. But I look at this core and I say, it's been four years now. And I think this year is a really important year for the Yankees as for what they're going to do beyond this season because Aaron Judge's contract is going to become a major talking point so the question I'll ask you, do you think this season could potentially be a make it or break it year for this, this core of, of young guys on the Yankees who's, who is going to be due for new contracts in the, for the long term? I don't think there's any, any doubt. And 
Um, unfortunately, I have to go in a minute, but I, sure. I would say this when it comes to Judge in particular. If Judge can't stay healthy, Yankees can't pay him. They, they just can't. And I understand what he, what he means to the fans and, and all that stuff, but let, let's be real. If you're going to be on the field for 110 games at best, how, how can I pay you $35 million a year? How can I justify that? It's I, not I possible. Can't. Yeah, and, and I think that Aaron Judge at this point in his career, and I, I know for a fact that last year he was getting a little bit annoyed with the notion of being injury prone because if you think back about how his calf injury was handled, mm-hmm. uh, first of all, he never spoke about it until uh, you know a week or two later. He left Aaron Boone out there and his teammates out there to talk about it which I didn't think was right because he knows that he's getting that knock and he knows he's approaching free agency in that big payday. Well, they're doing everything they can to try to keep you healthy. I think with a, with that kind of body type, it's very difficult to do as we've seen with Stanton. Um, You know, Torres to me, he's got to be the guy and you can't be, um, you can't be, out of shape last year mm-hmm. going into after the pandemic uh, layoff you can't be it's inexcusable so absolutely this is a big year for me for torres to show that the 38 homers a couple of years ago was no fluke and he's committed to being a great great player absolutely uh chris carlin host of carlin on 987 espn weeknights from 7 p.m to 10 p.m it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast uh, t- uh, today. And I want to say thank you so much for, for, for sharing me a very candid conversation. That I hope that a lot of people will benefit from. I uh, appreciate it, Shukri, for having me. And I, I love having the honest conversation because I think it's all very important. Thank you again. Absolutely. My pleasure.